Hello and welcome to another episode of Roy's Cast, the official podcast of the Writings of Yorkshire Society. We are your hosts, Johnny Farley and Sam Wright. Today we're joined by Josh Daniels, local filmmaker and researcher. Hello Josh, how are you? I'm very good, thank you very much. How are you? Very good too. It's a very hot day here in Leeds. Uh, you may hear some fans in the background because the room we're in is currently 30 degrees. Um, so Josh, first of all, uh, a bit about yourself. What got you into history? Uh, what, what's your background? So I've actually really been into history since I was about nine years old. And if anyone knows what Wentworth Woodhouse is, they'll probably understand why that got me into history. So Wentworth Woodhouse is the biggest private residence in the UK. It's 606 feet long entrance is just staggering, even by stately home standards. So to a nine year old, seeing something like that really made an impression on me. In fact, when my granddad, because he was the one who introduced it to me, took me to visit it, I first thought the stables were, because he said it was so big, and I went, Grandad, these are massive, it's like bigger than my street. And he went, oh no, they're just the stables. And as a nine-year-old seeing that, I just thought, who needs a house that big? What actually is this story? And ever since then, I think, dare I say, I've got that curiosity that I think makes a good historian, a good, like someone who's into history, is what they need. Because I was so curious, I was just so, well... Why was it so big? Who lived there? When was it built? Why did they build it like that? And that's, ever since then, I've always been doing the same, especially around local history, which is why I'm so big in local history, because I've just thought, well, why is that street named like that? Why is that here? Why was it built there? And also around that time, about 11 years old, me and my friend Nathan actually started making little films together. And the first film we made was a fiction one, and we recorded it on the webcam of my laptop and we put it on top of my wheelie bin in my back garden and we made it about like a fake dancing competition in which I in which I played an old man named Bob <laughs> and I murdered the competition <laughs> which is how I won and ever since then I've really not been not had a problem with being in front of the camera <laughs> so when I got to university which I because history was my favorite subject through university as well my history teacher was fantastic he was so passionate enthusiastic I thought, how can I monetize what I like to do? So I thought, actually, I love watching history documentaries. I'll just get into making that. So then I went to Sheffield Allen University, got a 2-1 in history, and then I found out about what public history was as a separate discipline, just to, obviously, different types of history. Public history is the discipline of, well, how does the public interact with history, with the academic side? So I went to do Royal Holloway University uh, of London to do public history masters got a distinction in that and that's when i made my first documentary and it was only fitting really that I did it at wentworth woodhouse that built up a report we went with woodhouse and then got commissioned to make films based on the research i was doing about wentworth woodhouse and that, from there i've been making documentaries professionally ever since since about 2018 well yeah that that yeah um me and sam can can also agree with the the public history side of things it's something we're both pretty pretty passionate about and and spend quite a lot of our time doing uh especially as part of our PhDs, but also in our, in our regular lives. Um, you know, that's, that's really good, Josh. It's really, really interesting stuff. Um, so what have you got for us today to talk about? What is your topic you've brought? Well, a lot of my research focuses on the industrial heritage of Yorkshire, particularly because I come from Maltby, and Maltby was a, a former mining town now. And frankly, a lot of the memories of Maltby is more, it's more bitter, like there's the, the memory of mining has been lost. And so a lot of places in Yorkshire often have lost industry, but have no nothing to replace it. They've not had a new future, a new identity. And what's even more saddening, I think, is in Yorkshire, 
there's actually been a lot of very important, incredibly impressive and in interesting industries, ones that have reached outside of Yorkshire, even reached in, across into like, the USA, etc. And yet a lot of them have actually just kind of been forgotten about. So really what I want to do is try and bring to light some of the forgotten industries of South Yorkshire particularly, because that's where a lot of my research is, but also it means the most to me, the lost industries of South Yorkshire. So I suppose saying lost industries of South Yorkshire, there is a immediate presumption that there are some not lost industries. So that might be useful to set up a little bit of context for you know, the main discussion that we'll have in a, in a few moments' time. So if you could talk a little bit about the industries that are still remembered, and then that helps us and helps listeners understand how the ones that come later are different. Yeah, I think the major industries that not only have come up in my research, but also I think in common memory, when people think industry, particularly on South Yorkshire, there's two always come to light. It's coal and steel. And I think the main reason is they're still in living memory. So coal mining, the, obviously the last coal mining in Barnsley, for example, was in 1993. There are people who are alive who remember working in all those pits. Steel factories, people still obviously work in steel factories in Sheffield today, but a lot of people feel that actually it's just not the same anymore. So coal and steel were the huge, massive industries that made up that industrial landscape, or at least most of it. And a lot of them still actually remember those industries being active so i think they're the two major ones because frankly people still remember and still talk about them yeah and i think i think that's an important point to make is is living memory it is a factor i think certainly from from my own experience as a maritime historian based in in hull lots of the of the dialogue lots of the conversations are about fishing and about how important that was um and, and rightfully so you know it's it, it was one of hull's major industries but there is a lot of history that comes before that that often gets that gets sort of moved or, or just just moves out of public public memory and public consciousness. So I think it's an important factor that need, that's a part of doing history, particularly locally. So I think it's one that we definitely can can um, can relate to as well. So I suppose that gives a bit of context for that discussion. So we can move on now to talk about some of those forgotten industries. Uh, and you've brought this five key ones. So I don't know if you want to talk. Pick one to start with, whichever course, one you prefer. Yeah. Well, actually, it's a very good point because I'll start with linen because linen is was actually one of the principal before coal mining during the 1800s linen was actually the major industry for barnsley for example and so it's i think one of the reasons that's been forgotten is not only was that in the 1800s but like you say that was actually a lot of these places had no longer exist that made the linen but actually it's quite interesting because linen was so important to Barnsley's economy. In fact, even before coal mining, it, and when coal mining was still existent, it actually was the major principal industry. In fact, in 1878, it was described as the prince, Barnsley was described as the principal seat of the English linen trade. And prior to this, around 1850, Leeds was described as the centre of flax spinning and linen create and linen weaving. It had lo loads of large factories and mills and flax was grown in yorkshire so linen was easily obtained and created in yorkshire which is why yorkshire particularly more to the west was that and obviously in the west riding at the time was seen as such a major industry because it was all grown around the area for example in leeds there was the marshalls that was built around 1840 but then come to the 1870s barnsley had just taken over it become made basically the major player in the linen industry of, of england and what's quite strange about that is before that it was really the wire it was wire drawing which was actually just mainly because they had access to lead in that areas and it but that was only really done in small workshops mainly around what like around wortley so it wasn't until the 1700s 
did linen weaving actually start taking off? But even then, it started off quite small. Mm. The a man named William Wilson, he moved into Barnsley in 1744, and he brought linen weaving with him in the, in small cottages. And in the late 1700s, they were still only doing it really in small cottages. But the first factory that was really built was actually really built in the early 1800s. And then actually the last mill was 1957. So actually linen was still being made in the textile industry all the way up until the mid-1900s. I think the reason linen, arguably, has been forgotten about more is because the textile industry was more focused and more mem- remembered in Barnsley, and not Barnsley, sorry, in Bradford, mm. and then towards the wet, what is now West Yorkshire. So when we talk about textile heritage, because coal was more recent in South Yorkshire, that gets remembered in Barnsley, despite the fact in the 1800s there was so much being produced in Barnsley. But Bradford was the one that was remembered for textile industries, so that kind of gets the rem- the living memory of the textile industry, and that's why that gets the focus. And I think linen's been forgotten because of that in South Yorkshire. I mean, really, there was some in and around, in and around the other areas as well. There was some flax spinning even in the eight, mid to late eighteen hundreds in Rotherham as well. There was a man actually who was in charge of it because generally it's con- it was considered sometimes obviously linen and the textiles sometimes associated with women's history but even then it was like the idea that there was so still flax spinning linen weaving going on in and around south yorkshire and at one point it was like i say the biggest in the country it's because it had access to clean water they had loads of space in barns that they could open up in and they had obviously like i said flax could be grown there but i think the reason it's been forgotten is because now like i say the more memorable and more remembered industries are came after that one and bradford and the more west yorkshire is the one that got more me- got more memory of textile industry yeah that's interesting um and that sort of uh theme you're you're bringing out of the the shift over time of where things are focused and what things are known for that's something that we've looked at as well in in sort of maritime history and in in my archaeological work is these these industries and these in particular for for me and I, I don't know if sam's similar um where the sort of points of commerce and trade are on water water bodies um so what i've been looking at in the romans and how uh through time that changes depending on you know cause and effect and and supplies and things so this this sort of uh, overarching plot of, of things changing due to necessity and due to what they're sort of best out of the time is um it's quite interesting um so that's that's linen um what, what other ones have you have you got to talk about well it's funny you should actually mention about waterways because iron was another huge arguably that's not as forgotten but i think iron played a much more played a much more pivotal role than people remember particularly in south yorkshire and the reason i pick up on waterways for example is actually one of the most key iron production companies in britain in england with the thorncliffe iron works in what is now chapel town and the high green area in northern sheffield and actually because of their their close proximity to the elsica canal they actually then really shaped along with the local aristocrat of Wentworth Wood, Al Sir Fitzwilliam, they shaped the area because they actually had a wagonway, like a tramway built, that took the finished iron products from Thorncliffe Ironworks. They took them all through other collieries to get wood to and from. They took some ironstone mining that was around there. That was another big industry in the Tankersley area near Barnsley. 
and they took that all the way to the canal and i think that's a really important point actually because a lot of these industries were so placed because of their proximity to the canal because obviously they could then be sold and moved on i mean thorncliffe ironworks was a founded by in 1793 it was renowned as one of the best in actually the best in the world but there was also some other nearby ones there was the milton ironworks which was actually owned by the walken company of rotherham and i think that's another key player when it comes to the iron industry of south yorkshire because the walken companies of rotherham actually made the cannons that were aboard hms victory at trafalgar with nelson and they were absolutely like and it's arguable it's arguable that they helped revolutionize the british navy through these cannons because they were so durable but because they were bigger they had to almost make the ships bigger to or they had to increase size elsewhere in order to accommodate these cannons but they were so renowned for their durability that the iron industry took off with them i mean even in milton ironworks as well they had they started building bridges for places like mauritius and they'd even build them out in the public and move them out on the fields so people would come by and it'd be a spectacle people were so interested and found such marvel in these local industries that actually it wasn't just all oh, people went to work it was all cornered away where they made iron for some select few they were people felt a sense of national pride when they came to the iron industry i mean even in rotherham as well they may even made play like pipes for hong kong they Rotherham had an, or such in external and international connections because of its industry and I think that's really relevant today when we kind of see a lot of people perceive Yorkshire to kind of just be a place up north mm. but actually frankly it helped build the world in a way there were so many places across the world that actually have connections through Rotherham's industry well yeah I mean I think that, that international perspective is what is, is useful one as well I know we've talked a little bit about some of the particularly Rotherham links to places like New York City and things like that which we'll, which I'm sure you probably talk about a bit later on so I think as well being from from these ports and areas and places like that you've got companies that are interested or particular in 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 those developing industries around Yorkshire as well I mean my own background working with Lloyd's Register and then the foundation and the charity the charity that works there and looking at their archive you see this major company that's looking at surveying material production keeping a presence in the Yorkshire area in ports like Hull and, and around the Humber to look at that material that's been developed here because there's an appreciation that we don't need to always they don't always need to go up all the way to Scotland to look at the places like the yards on the Clyde that are producing these sorts of materials you can there's a lot that's been done closer to home so that's it's sort of something that I've come across as well in research is that international that reach but also the draw from from attention from other places in England as well yeah, because actually, uh, I think that's a really good place to jump off into the next industry, which would be brass. Because now you mentioned about Rotherham and New York, it's really strange because people know of New York Stadium in Rotherham, and the area itself is actually called New York. And uh, the, that connection is exemplifying the fact that they've tried to connect, keep that heritage link alive, but people, I think, don't realise what that heritage link is people just think oh yeah they had something to do with new york now Geston crimes had their workshops in rotherham and they they were about they started off as they started plumbers and glaziers in 1817 but then they set up brass making by about 1845 and they formally established by about 1847 and they actually made the fire hydrants for new york city and that area was all dedicated to their to their work to what they made and they actually like you say had connections internationally 
and that was just one of many connections that they had into that Rotherham and the industries they had internationally. But that's the one that's actually they've actively tried to keep a memory alive of that brass one. But again, I doubt when people think Rotherham or even New York City, they'll have the football connection, not the brass connection. So it's almost that industrial link survives in name only. But even so, it's good that at least they've called it New York City or it's called New York City to commemorate that link. I mean, brass was almost... It was one of the lesser industries in a way. And there's a reason I think it got forgotten because actually brass wasn't all the most prominent part of the economy. Milton Ironworks in Barnsley, in Hoyland, that actually later became a brass foundry when the iron industry started going to decline. In fact, the Milton Ironworks then later became a shooting range. So it was actually, you saw quite a lot of weird stuff happening in its life. But it just goes to show that the industry was such a prominent part of the economy that once the iron went, they went, oh, well, just replace it with another one. Brass wasn't as major a player in the South Yorkshire's economy, but it has such prominent stories that I thought, wait, why are we neglecting brass? Why is brass being neglected when actually it's it's one of the reasons we have the football stadium named as it is, that area named as it is. It's, prom- it's so prominent in people's cultural psyche today but that connection has kind of just been blurred by its more sports connection. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with, obviously, the sports connection. I think that's the most, more relevant to people who actively use the site today. But it is, I think it is almost a mission of mine to say, actually, these places that people just think there's actually an, another deeper connection there, if we can look a bit further, if we can make an effort to preserve it. I think what's, what's also about the brass, in fact, about the decline of the brass industry in South Yorkshire is following the First World War in around 1920, the brass foundries in Sheffield, they actually said, look, we've not got a problem with demand. There is still a demand for brass, but we just don't have the people. We just don't have the men. Men were so required in coal and in steel and obviously to tend the land and to return back to their original positions. But because obviously after the First World War, we take the, the male population had taken such a hit, the brass foundries actually started to shut down simply because they were understaffed and they either didn't want or couldn't get women to fill the, the roles that they needed filling. So it's a strange occurrence where actually it wasn't lack of industry that killed brass in South Yorkshire. It was lack of man, literal manpower. Yeah, I think I'm just, just cycling back onto a point you made there about you know the, the football ground being the, the only thing that they remember New York from. It just reminds me of... Uh, it's these weird twists of history where things, because they get labelled something, it's just like, well, that's that's just what that's called. So, I mean, the great, the, the big examples that we I've come across, you know, it, being a maritime historian and Hull is, um, you know, the names of the docks that have become, you know, Queen's Dock became the Queen's Gardens in Hull City Centre, the Prince's Dock became the shopping centre, Prince's Quay. But, you know, they're, it's always a, I, I don't, I don't, I'm sure you found it as well, but it's those moments that you can give to people that are often the most rewarding where you can see the click that link is then made and then it, it's those I find it the, that's the that's the most the most joyful moment of that sort of process is, is seeing those moments where you you make that connection for somebody so I don't know I'm sure you've come across that when you've done I know you do tours as well so I think you've you'll have come across that I'm sure yeah in fact actually it's one of, when I do lots because I do heritage tours as well like guided heritage tours usually they kind of get I get commissioned to do them for charities for example and one thing I actively try and do there is actually what was this place before if actually that again that brings us quite nicely onto the next industry which is glass because in Barnsley there's a place called the glassworks now that's 
uh, that's a eatery of sorts now. There's different like restaurants you can get. There's different. There's like a bar in the middle, etc. But glassmaking was another huge industry in Barnsley as well, and it's now remembered in names, and that's a more direct name. It's literally this is where the glassworks would have been. Glassworks were prominent here, but glassworks actually goes back even before the linen does. Glasswork, glassworking in Barnsley, they found evidence that actually it came over from French migrants in around the 1600s. So glassworking actually has a has a very long-standing history, but it didn't really take off until around the 1800s. Nine, early 1900s there were three major ones in Barnsley there were Red Ferns but also Hope Glassworks which were formed by Ben Reynolds father of Dan Reynolds who sunk a shaft at what is now the Barnsley main colliery site so again that industrial link it was all within the same kind of family and then there was also the Wood Brothers who formed in 1834 and they started making tablewares and then they made industrial glass until about 1981 so glassmaking was another huge prominent industry in and around the area that's remembered by name and i think that's a much more on the nose thankful <laughs> reference actually there that they could have um another prominent one though about glassmaking is beats and clark which were said since 1751 and they still exist actually they still make products and they were one of the biggest glassmaking companies in the area in the region and glass was actually such a huge part of the economy and it was so locally used and renowned actually for it to still exist is actually probably not a surprise because they were quite almost unique in what they did but i think it's another industry that people probably will go oh glass making oh yeah i didn't think we would make glass around here because in fact actually rotherham as well has the catcliffe glass cone and that's actually the oldest of its kind in western europe and in there they used to obviously make the glass it dates back all the way back to about 1740 and that's actually still preserved just because in the mid 19 uh, late 1900s they actually got great they actually got listed status for it so it couldn't they fought for it not to be knocked down but actually there's one of i think of i think there's about three of those existing in europe and the one in catcliffe is actually the oldest of its kind so but even then it's just a stone it's a fantastic structure it's so bizarre though you go it's basically like an upside down hollow ice cream cone it's really strange it's made of brick and you go in and you can look up to the top and you can see how the glass would have been made and in and it's just so bizarre to know that on the floor there they'd have been making glass for all the areas around them but again it, the only reason i think people remember that is because a it got protected be it's now a heritage site that Rotherham Council advertises, they do events there, they have volunteers there, etc. But also because it actually physically has glass in the name, like the Catcliffe Glass Cone, it's in the name. And same with Barnsley where glass works, it's less that they like the New York connection. You can forget the brass bit because brass isn't mentioned, even though brass was the connection. But glass works, you know, the word glass is literally in there. And I think that's why glass making is less forgotten about, but probably one of the more surprising industries of South Yorkshire because, well, everyone thinks coal or steel, like I said, but they were making all sorts in South Yorkshire. It still surprises me how often, you know, you, you, you say, for example, where I, where I live in Barton, the, the old tile works on the, on, the, on, the, on the waterfront, on the Humber, and you're like, was it actually a tile works? People are like, really? You're like, well, yeah, surprising that. But yeah, but it's it's those things where if it's not, it's not you know they're in front of you, then it gets it gets forgotten about. So I think we've we've touched there on 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 four, 
on four of these uh, sort of forgotten industries of iron, glass, um, textiles, and brass. But I know the, there was there was one final one of pottery that you wanted to talk about. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, pottery is quite an interesting one because really it was actually one of South Yorkshire's oldest industries. Pottery, in fact, it goes back all the way like centuries ago. They think actually even back to like the the like the 12th century and a lot of that was because they had access to the resources that made it possible they had access to clay to running water to lots of fresh running water as well and also the area in order to build these and because frankly what the reason a lot of the north especially around this area became so industrial was because they had people willing to do it and the resources in that specific area and I think that's another reason actually why coal was so prominent in this area because the Barnsley bed in South Yorkshire the most one of the most favoured of the beds in South Yorkshire of coal was readily available so thus they built the coal around obviously where they could get it and that's the same reason for pottery like raw materials were all just found so locally that they didn't have to ship them in I mean the, one of the oldest was the Kilnhurst pottery and actually it started life out in 1746 and that made just it, one of its most prominent customers were pubs they used to just make mugs for pubs and it's some it's nothing game-changing, life-changing, such as, like I say, the pipes for Hong Kong, which helped out with their sewage system. It's not like the fire hydrants for New York City, where that was obviously something really famous, really popular. But the fact it made just their own things that they used for local people. There was The most famous one there, though, is the Waterloo Kiln. Now, that was established around 1815, named after the... and named literally after the Battle of Waterloo after the victory of it although it was also known as the Rockingham Pottery because that was the that was the works that it belonged to Rockingham Works Rockingham comes from the family who resided at Wentworth Woodhouse and they because they were known as the the family of Rockingham because they were descendants of Rockingham Castle as well as descendants of the people who built Wentworth Woodhouse but that was some of the most incredible pottery actually in the country in fact they shipped so much fine porcelain not just to other parts of england but across the world as well so actually it's another international link just based off the the quality of this porcelain it's something i think really to be proud of because yorkshire is today quite a, a global and diverse community and it has these links across the world and a lot of that isn't just recent times it's actually no yorkshire's always had a connection with the rest of the world such as through the pottery What's quite strange though is there was actually a bit of almost a conspiracy about the Rockingham Pottery where there were actually a few potteries near there and supposedly they, those who owned Rockingham Pottery actually sabotaged the other potteries so that way people would stop buying theirs and start buying from Rockingham Pottery. So there was almost a bit of like sabotage going on really which it almost sounds bizarre to think when it came to that but in all spares in love and war and business, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, sort of touching on the the pottery angle of it. Um, in something I've experienced in my own work with with the Romans, who are very big on pottery, um, I get quite a lot of people coming up and talk to me about how they used to work at the Hornsey Pottery, which is obviously East Yorkshire, not South Yorkshire. But um, it's really interesting how that is. I I don't believe they still produce, but it's such a it's one of these as you sort of say the the major industries or the new industries, so it is remembered. Um, and just interesting how it is it's a bit of an identity for people they, they'll come up and well, because I'll start talking about Roman ceramics 
they'll be like oh i i know all about glazes and slips and things like that um and it's sort of a point of pride so is that something you you'd say you find with these other industries um presumably less so the forgotten ones because as you say they're they're more back in time as it were um but these more recent ones is that there's this there's this pride to them yeah 100% i think a lot of people find pride in them because when it comes to coal and steel for the two major ones they're the ones that i find always come up when industry is mentioned of course like i say there's less other forgotten ones as well but when it comes to those two major players there's so much pride in them because a lot of them also saw facing adversity like i don't want to bring her up but thatcher when a lot of people hear Thatcher, of course they think, oh, and there's always, a, oh yeah, we we str- we were beaten in the strike, but we were we survived on, we stood our ground, and so I think there is that almost they oh, they look at it as if they were beaten down. So there's definite, and also because it was such a hard job, like even when technology was improving, even when safety conditions were being more considered, and even legislation being placed to say actually no we can, we're going to limit how long you have down there more aware of the health conditions that came from it they were still a hard job a dangerous job and so that pride definitely comes from the fact that they did a hard job that they saw a support in the nation and they do it in the they did it in the face of adversity i think a lot of the pride for some of the because a lot of people do actually still try and maintain or still try and keep the memory of these more forgotten about industries actually alive and in public perception and and a final note about pottery for example waterloo kiln is now like a heritage site of rotherham and they've got friends of waterloo kiln society that helps maintain it does events volunteers there to report back on it etc and they're so proud of it because it is their local that it's their it's their local attraction it's their local piece of heritage it's their local heritage and that pride comes from the fact that not only are they actively looking after what was a really proud, like a really incredible and successful industry, but also it's theirs, it's their hometown. And I think that's the major thing is that no matter, even in Maltby, in Maltby when the pits were destroyed in 2013, there was a collective sadness. I actually had no family members who were in the pit industry. And even I thought, yeah there's something that we've just lost something there and i think it's almost at that point just comes down to location for the pride it is that oh yeah here in yorkshire yeah we built fire hydrants it's like well i didn't none of my descendants probably did but i still say oh yeah we built fire hydrants for new york city so i think location's a huge part of that pride as well yeah and i mean i mean from my own my own life you know i was born in scunthorpe and the looming spectre of that steelworks closing is it, that it's the same thing it, it's this you know i've not had anybody as far as i'm aware that was involved in the steelworks in, in my family but the looming spectre of the closure of that steelworks you're like well that what is the that identity has been is being stripped so i think there's there's always that fear that helps motivate history as well but i mean as well i'm talking about the pottery link as well that, that, that johnny said you know if that's a person's in to history that is another it's another important factor of that of that ex- knowledge exchange if if something that they've experienced helps them then relate to something that you're talking to them about that can make that experience so much more more powerful i think for, for, for people that you know for people that we get to share the history with um one interesting thing that you that you mentioned there is the fact that some of these sites in these places have been turned into you know a heritage site where things have been remembered um but I know that it, talking to you before the before we start to record today, it's also interesting to look at the places that were once but have become something else. So, for example, the amount of um, uh, country parks that have opened. So, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that, but it's it, these are, it's another it's an example of 
almost the opposite, where you've got a heritage site established on what was an industrial an industrial plot. So I think that these are you were saying these are a good example of what happens when that doesn't occur. Yeah, one thing that I found about a lot of places in nature in South Yorkshire is that actually they were not nature at all prior in the industrial peak or in the industrial time of South Yorkshire, particularly with coal and steel, etc. These areas of nature were actually just used, for example, for dumping grounds. There's a big hill in just near in Hemingfield near Elsica, and I remember walking up it and. Uh, my granddad was just like, oh yeah, this just used to be the, the the muck stack they called it a lot of the time, but it used to be the slag heap for Elsie, one of Elsica's collieries. And I went, oh, right, oh, so this hasn't always been here. And they were like, no, no, it used to just be where they chucked stuff onto it. The two key examples I found in my research, because I've been asked to research about a lot of the areas around here, is one of them is Dern Valley Country Park in Barnsley, because actually that used to just be a lot of old buildings, during the 1800s when industry started to really develop in Barnsley but it then became later derelict when the industry left that area and those buildings were just destroyed but also it was really the dumping ground for a lot of the very nearby Barnsley main colliery so that actually what is now a really and I must say it's a really beautiful park you wouldn't believe before that it was actually just used essentially as a dumping ground for a lot of it but what's quite interesting about that one is not only is it transformed so much because of active transformation as well. In the 1980s and 90s, they actively, when actually we're restoring this, we're using it as a country park because we can't have people just look at this derelict site because they're already missing that industry too much. They need a new identity. But there's also still some remnants as well because the Dern and Dove Canal and the River Dern that, and the two main waterways near there actually were a big part of the industry especially for Barnsley main colliery as well and also for shipping down products etc so the fact that those are now also serving a different purpose but haven't really changed or moved etc but now you wouldn't associate them with his with that industrial heritage I think it's quite almost a juxtaposition where they've gone from the Dana Duck Canal was constructed or and was really shaped primarily to to help support the industries so the fact now that it's more of a tourist attraction and a place of nature without actually really doing much to it they had to restore it and clear it and yeah there was a very big project and a very a lot of time effort and money and fighting was done in order to actively get it to the condition that it is now but that was done really without actually changing the course of it in any way so the fact that it went from being just a canal to support industry to now a canal to support like the community i think it's quite interesting there's other prominent one that's covered from my research a lot is westwood country park in high green because that's seen a ton of industrial heritage but also social heritage as well westwood country park is just on like the northern tip of high green in fact it's kind of on the border with tankersley area with barnsley and it used to be the spoil tip for the nearby collieries thorncliffe colliery was a prominent one nearby as well but prior to that, actually, it was the site of what were known as Westwood Rose. Now, Westwood was the name of the nearby area, literally because it was the Westwood. But the Westwood Rose was a series of cottages built to house blackleg labour during the late 1800s. And in fact, in 1870, in January 1870, there was actually an attack on those cottages. And it was seen as one of the most bitter industrial disputes of of. of of England up until that point 23 people were trialed for it and there was one officer one striker was 
uh, it were injured and they actually attacked these non-striking laborers and the houses themselves and the families inside simply because they weren't striking and it's only because newton and chambers had actually laid off the striking miners and brought in non-striking miners who they could pay less and they felt so betrayed by that that they actually just took that out in almost in luddite fashion of well if we can't get to you politically we have to get to you the way we know which is through protest through physical ones but now that area is just trees it's just so it's just trees and grass and bushes and flora and fauna so it's it's now nature but that was one side of industrial action another side of industrial heritage but also in the 70s there was also some open cast mining going on in there as well and the dam was also built for the water to fuel the ironworks as well so the dam which is now used for fishing was actually an industrial piece of heritage as well and the site itself was actually the one site of mining but you wouldn't believe that to look at it now because it's a beautiful scene it's a giant spot of greenery there's trees all around it there's so much plant life and wildlife going on and the place itself offers beautiful views of sheffield but that couldn't have existed if it hadn't been essentially an industrial wasteland frankly before and i think that's the that's the nature of industry in yorkshire dare i say for example in in places like canada and the usa where they started to give new identities to industrial towns that have lost their industry there was a place in canada uh, i think it was and uh, that was former mining town and now all the buildings have been converted to food processing. There's a place in America, uh, I can't remember the actual name of it, but it, all the mining equipment, all the mining town buildings have now been converted into ones for green energy. So they've been given a new future, a new identity. And I think the importance of these forgotten industries here in Yorkshire is that they're not just, oh yeah, we just left that derelict building as a reminder that we had industry once they've now been transformed into something we can use today and something sustainable for the future as well and i think if anything if we are going to remember those industries that's probably the best way to do it is one where actually the community can make use of today yeah and i think and i, I think building on that you know just just going to, towards the end we've, you've got a lot of these places in in yorkshire that that show a whole range of ways that we can remember the past and i think you know along the humber you've got all the old tile works that have now become like a huge nature reserve but that's exactly the same they're just big holes in the floor that we that we dug clay out of that have just been filled with water and to create nature reserves and this it's ways that are not immediately apparent like obviously the you know as historians of people that want to look at these sites we'd love it if every site was given heritage status and preserved so we could just go and play in them but it's all the, it's this management of how we can keep this site relevant make it useful and important to the modern day but still somehow remember that i mean some places don't get it right some and, and don't you know and, and struggle with that sort of past recollection but i think it, it yorkshire is a really great place to see a whole range of different ways of doing it and i think you've you've, you've covered that thank you and actually that's a, i think that's why south yorkshire when it comes to the forgotten industries 
is almost something I can take like pride in. He like say coming back to the idea of location. Like I had no, I have no familial connection really to any of the industries. But knowing these industries were here is so that I can go. Oh yeah, where I live, they used to do this. They used to do that. And I think there's also that memory being preserved quite explicitly. Going back to like the idea of the glassworks in Barnsley, I think that's a great way of saying, look, we're using this for a different purpose, but we couldn't have done this without industry. And that is shown in the name, and that name is preserved for everyone to... And I think if people... Because kids are curious, like I was curious when I was a kid asking all those questions, I think if kids would say, oh, why was it called Glassworks? If they see the word glass, then actually they can have that conversation, and it instigates that passing on of the preservation process to the younger generations. And I think that's what's really good about Yorkshire, especially here in South Yorkshire, I think. And that's my personal sort of perspective, my 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 what I've really experienced is that actually these areas which were industry, because South Yorkshire was so industrial, obviously it was the West Riding primarily when it was that, but these areas that are now South Yorkshire, there's so much industri- like post-industrial almost memory. There's not such a post-industrial place that it's great to see it being preserved in such a way that future generations will be able to tell what it was, even if they use it for a different purpose. Well, I think that that's that, that's a really important point. I think it's, it's a good point to end on is this making sure that these places leave the a little nugget to help inspire the next generation of, of, of you know historians and, and people that can do stuff like this. I mean, that's I mean, you said right, it brings us full circle to the way that you started about how you were given that little nugget that made you want to follow this. So I think on that note, what how can people follow you first and foremost and, and the projects that you've got coming up, or if you've got any upcoming videos that they can keep an eye out look out for yeah actually thank you because one on the note of like westwood country park for example coming up i've got on youtube uh there'll be the chap lives of chapel green which is a series of four documentaries based on my research i'm doing about the ecclesfield parish they'll be available to watch on youtube four episodes um most of my work is will be on youtube because that's primarily how i make my money i don't uh, i publish my research through the documentaries and generally get commissioned to make documentaries so we can do things like public showings so community centers etc will say we want to do this to have a community event if you make that video we can do that as like the the, the clincher so the best place probably to follow my work would be on youtube so if people type into youtube joshua daniels wentworth woodhouse or joshua daniels elsica then my videos will be on there and all my videos will be on my channel. But I think the most pressing and most relevant one to this one coming up will be the lives of Chapel Green. That's probably the one because that is about, well, these post-industrial areas, what's actually, what they've been used for now, what's the community like now. So that's coming up in, that'll be on YouTube by the time this goes out. Yeah, and I encourage anyone to go watch it. It's like, like we have, we've had, you know, J- Jamie, who came on these are some of the fa- really fantastic local historians that are doing some great work free access for people to go and watch and josh is another example of some great videos on there so thank- thanks for coming on josh we i'd say we you were at rise last year and we appreciate the support that you've offered to us and thanks for you know if anybody was at the conference which we are recording mere hours before the start of rise 23 so people will have seen you there attending as part of our digital panel Unfortunately, as as we've mentioned before on a, on a past episode, if you're listening to this, you have missed Royce 23, but do keep out for future announcements for events that we're doing um, you know, in, in the years to come. But again, thanks very much for coming on, Josh. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. So yeah, please join us for the next episode of Royce Cast. <laughs>